Welcome to the Luminance Podcast, where we shine the light on the good you are doing in the marketplace. Join host Sharon C. Jenkins, the master communicator, as she talks with iconic industry experts about the importance of being a servant leader in today's transitional world. Introducing William Bernhardt. He is the author of over 50 books, including the best-selling Daniel Pike and Ben Kincaid novels, the historical novel, Challengers of the Dust, two books of poetry, and the 10 red sneaker books on fiction writing. In addition, Bernhardt founded the Red Sneaker Writers Center to mentor aspiring writers. The center hosts an annual writers conference titled Writer Con, small group writing retreats, a newsletter, and a bi-weekly podcast. So, Bill, I've got about seven questions for you. Ready? Right, let's hear it. <laughs> How would you introduce yourself to an 18th century poet? Who thought, who thought of this question? <laughs> 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 Your work or somebody in the group? Me, me. How would I introduce myself to an 18th? I wouldn't because this would never happen. 18th century, like the 1700s. I can't even really think of one. I don't know. I'd probably speak in Middle English. And I don't think they would even understand what I do because, you know, novels, at least in English, didn't really come about until the 1600s. Defoe, Fielding, Richardson, those guys. And thrillers, mysteries didn't come around until the 19th century. And the time period you're talking about, most people were writing in blank verse and poetry, in other words, even when they're writing in the narrative form. So I don't think I would, I, I might mention my two books of poetry, although they wouldn't even really get that since most of that is not rhymed and metered poetry, you know, da 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 da. So. I think I'd probably just say hi and move on. I don't think they'd get me at all. Okay, okay. Hi and move on. I hear you. So what predictions do you have for authors for 2021? Hmm. Well, my feeling is this is like the best time to ever be a writer, which does not mean it's easy or easy to break in or easy to write, because it's clearly not. But on the other hand, I think there are a lot of opportunities available to people that have never been available before. I mean, look what we're doing here. We're like, you know, Sharon's in Texas and Shanika's in Florida, and I'm in Oklahoma, and here we are all talking together. That's pretty amazing. For the first time ever, we are not really, I won't use the word, you know, chained, but uh, put it this way. When I started writing, I mean, for Sirius in the 80s and trying to get published, there was really only way to have any level of success as a writer. And that was to A, find an agent who then B, finds a publisher, the bigger, the better, because that's the only way you were going to get into bookstores. And so what we call the big five publishers, which is about to be the big four. Back then it was the big seven, but you get the idea. There were five big New York, they're not really New York based, but they have offices in New York. So we call them New York publishers. And that was the only way to get published. 
And the only p- problem with that is one, it was a really tough get, gig to get. And two, they kept most of the money. <laughs> Even for the most successful people on earth, the publishers retained most of the cash. It, to be fair, they have to split with the bookstores and other people. But but today, thanks to the internet, thanks to online booksellers, we live in a very different world that has a lot more opportunity. You can still go that traditional publishing route, and there's no reason not to if that's your goal. But there are also other ways of approaching smaller regional presses. University presses are now able to compete on a mostly level playing field online. Even some people are now publishing themselves and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Because used to be people, you, you made fun of people who self-published because there's no way you could get your books in the bookstore. So that was going to flop, but now that's not true anymore. So there's a whole range of opportunities for writers that didn't exist before. People who write in niches or for targeted audience, several of you uh, mentioned Christian writing, which you're probably aware is one of the few niches of the book industry that have actually showed gains, that have actually shown increases in sales in the last several years. I know none of you care about money because you know you're above all that but still it's nice to know that there is a potential audience for what you're writing and the internet has made it possible for people to find uh, you know smaller minority interests but still make it viable people you mentioned uh, that i love music and musicals or puzzles you know it used to be impossible to make a living writing puzzles but now people do and the way they do it is by getting subscribers you know forget about the papers and the magazines they just go direct to the customer through kickstarter or by selling subscriptions online and taking money through paypal so whole bunch of options that didn't exist before uh, the one thing i can tell you for absolutely sure as far as predictions for the future go is that one, online sales is going to continue to be king. I don't think bookstores are going to disappear entirely, but in the world, and this is before the lockdown, worse after, but even before the lockdown, bookstores only accounted for about 5% of all book sales in this country. Most of it was online, and there are a few other stores, airports and whatnot, where you can find books, but it's mostly online. Amazon alone sells more than 50% of all books. And I don't mean just ebooks. For ebooks, it's more like 80, 85%. But all across the board, Amazon's alone is selling more than 50%. So that's going to continue. Self publishing is going to continue because some people have figured out that they can, you know, do it profitably. I'm not going to say it's easy. There is no path in writing that is easy. (laughs) But people, who are energetic enough to do the work and hook up with somebody smart in marketing like Sharon is, have been able to make a go of it. The other big prediction I can make is that audiobooks are going to continue to be big and just get bigger. They've shown huge gains. We've had eight years now of double-digit sales increases in the audiobook realm. And everybody thought that would end during the lockdown because we assumed everybody was listening to audiobooks while they drive to work, while they're commuting. Guess what? Sales went up last year by a big percentage. Turns out the biggest percentage of uh, places where people listen to audiobooks is not their car, it's their home. 
people are listening. You know, you see kids with those earbuds and you assume they're listening, they're rocking out, but they may be listening to an audio book. And some people listen to audio books while they do the household chores. I listen to podcasts now in the morning when I feed the cat and water the plants because <laughs> I don't drive as much anymore. So you find other places to do it. Anyway, some people are really enjoying audiobooks, which have been around for a long time, but they used to be cumbersome and expensive because you had to have cassette tapes or CDs, and now you just download them straight to your phone, and it's easy and less expensive. So that that's going to continue to be big in the future, too. And just yeah. as people and small presses or self-publishing can make their own books, they can also make their own audiobooks. That's probably longer than what you wanted, but that's all my predictions. There you got it. No, that's pretty good. It, I didn't know the fact about the audiobooks and I'm uh I'm shocked and I'm uh, I'm really happy about that because ordinarily I think you can make more money off of audiobooks than your print or your ebook. If you get people to buy them, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the trick no matter what. That's it. You're absolutely right. I hear you. So have you ever considered turning your Ben Cade or Daniel Pike series into movies? Well, they've been optioned many times, but so far nothing's ever been done. And as I speak to you, I've actually published 54 books and I've been writing. My first book was published in 91. So that's 30 years of writing, 30 years of occasional options, but still nothing's been made. The Ben Kincaid books have been optioned three times got never been made. I've got a book called Nemesis that's been optioned twice. The Daniel Book Pike books have been, but that's typical in in Hollywood. A lot of things get optioned, but actually getting made, that's a whole different thing. Uh, The book I mentioned called Nemesis, which is based on a historical incident, the Cleveland Torso Murders in 1935 and Elliot Ness, it's a great story. And I did a semi-fictionalized version of it that got very close to being made. It was picked up by a producing group called Aperture. They got Sony on board. Sony sold it to NBC. NBC thought two-night miniseries and commissioned a script. Then they liked the script so much, they said, hey, make it a three-day script instead of a two, three-night, I guess, three-night script, make it longer. And then they liked that. And then they canceled all their specials. <laughs> so the whole thing, uh, you know, beside, uh, uh, despite all the time and money that have been thrown into it and the green lights, it ended up not happening for a variety of reasons. But point is, that's not really uncommon in the book world in Hollywood. Still might happen, but hasn't yet. Wow. I can't wait. I can't wait. Could you tell them a little bit about the Daniel Pike series? Because you're on book number six, the final, the final book in the series. And we've got some avid readers here. They may want to Go out. Oh, well, you need all six of them then. And I'm, I'm sure <laughs> Sharon can help you out with that or just go to my website or Amazon. But, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned the Ben Kincaid. That was the first, uh, the series that kind of put me on the charts. And, uh, you know, I did 19 of them. And then at some point voluntarily said that was enough. I mean, uh, my publisher was Random House and we both kind of agreed on, I mean, they actually offered a contract, but 
enough already. You know, I, I was at a point in life when I thought, is this really the only thing I'm going to do for my whole life? I mean, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. On the other hand, my kids were mostly grown and I figured I just don't have to do this forever. So I took off about, I don't know, eight or 10 years and did other things. That's when I did the two books of poetry. That's when I did uh, the young adult books, the Shine series. Uh, Challengers of the Dust, probably my favorite of all my novels, which you also mentioned, also a historical novel kind of set, starts during the Oklahoma Dust Bowl era. I love that book. It sold like, I don't know, six copies, but <laughs> I loved writing it. <laughs> but it's not necessarily commercial thriller, uh, commercial fiction. It's not a thriller like the others. Anyway, so two years ago, I decided, you know, maybe it's time to get back. Enough time had passed that doing another courtroom novel sort of sounded fun again. And I thought there are a lot of new things going on that I could write about. I've always used these as, yes, thrillers, but also as a way to comment on things that are going on in the real world, if you know what I mean, without getting preachy or boring. But, you know, there, there, there's stuff to talk about out there. But I said from the start, okay, I'm going to do this, but it's going to be a six book series. Okay. It's not going to go on forever. <laughs> I'm going to map it out. There's going to be six and done. And that's exactly what, of course, that doesn't mean I couldn't go back to the character someday if I really wanted to, but it made it to me much more fun and less like this giant albatross around my neck. If I just said, okay, I'm going to be six of them and then it's over. And that also allowed me to kind of plan it out. And when the sixth book happened, final jet verdict, which you just mentioned, I could kind of put an ending on it, you know, instead of a constant to be continued. It's six and over. Each book stands alone, but it also makes, you know, a kind of larger story arc that I thought was kind of fun. Hmm. So questions from our audience. Questions. I have a question. Yeah. I have a question because when I saw you had a series, you reminded me of Walter Mosley, the Easy Rollins series. He actually uh, killed off a character. And at the end of that book, I was like, what happened? I started looking all over and then he's he's brought the characters back. He went to another thing. So one of the things that I wanted to ask is, how did you know you were going to do the covers on the Justice series, the covers I've been reading about how if it's going to be a series, the covers have to be the same. Did you already know about that or what the, did the pub? No, I didn't have anything to do with that. That was all Random House and my division was Valentine and they did all the covers. They picked the titles, which oh, wow. I thought, you know, were kind of, well, I'll be polite and just say not what I would have chosen, but oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> at that time. And again, remember this series is launching in 91. Oh, okay. And at that time, the big deal in the mystery world was Sue Grafton, who is a lovely person, passed recently. I've met Walter Mosley, too, for that matter. Oh, wow. He's a great guy, but Sue was really special. Anyway, her books, you remember, that was the Alphabet series. A is for Alibi and B is for Burglar, which was a fabulous mnemonic title device. You know, it stood out. It said, these are Sue's books. And you could, okay, I've read A, B, and C. If I read D, you know, I can So everybody wanted a title gimmick after that. Oh, okay. And, and so I had a different title for my first book, but my editor at Ballantyne, I think, is the one ultimately who got, I mean, it's been 30 years. I probably don't really remember anything, but I think this was Joe Blade's idea. He's retired now, but he was the best. 
editor who really liked my work and took pride in the fact that he had found a guy who really broke out. <laughs> anyway, he had the idea of, we'll, we'll talk, we'll call the first one primary justice. I mean, what does that even mean? That's not a legal term. That's nothing, <laughs> but <laughs> it's the first one. So we'll call it primary justice. And unfortunately, we didn't have to do secondary justice or tertiary <laughs> justice. It was just always something justice. Mm -hmm. And the, the covers all had that marbleized look of a law firm, at least for a while until we got tired of that. They did after nine of them. And after they'd been on the New York Times list a couple of times, they said, okay, we don't have to do the justice thing anymore. Plus at that time, you know, by the mid nineties, lawyer books were becoming quite popular. And there are a lot of books with justice in the title that weren't written by me. So it kind of lost its uniqueness. Mm -hmm. So we broke away from the, the title scheme, but uh, you know, they love that stuff. Later on about book 14, just to give you another example of this, I think it was 14. Uh, and this is really me thinking if I have to write another courtroom scene, I'm just going to shoot myself. I can't stand this any longer. <laughs> and I did one call that ultimately was called capital murder because I took Ben to, to Washington, basically. Mm -hmm. It's some excuse to work for a senator on this big case. And uh, so then I did a, a series of books with the same character, but instead of being legal thrillers, they were basically political thrillers. Mm, okay. And the first one of those was a big hit, Capital Murder. So after that, they wanted every book to be titled Capital Something. <laughs> <laughs> so that we had five capital this, capital that's, whatever. Okay. You may notice on the Daniel Pike books, we don't do that. But in a way, you know, you don't have to because now people are going on a Amazon and regardless of what the actual title is, they can see Daniel Pike number one, Daniel Pike number two. They okay. can go to the series page and see the whole series lined up in order. So again, internet has given us tools we didn't used to have. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Who else has a question? I have a question. Which one do you prefer better? or best as far as your poetry or your nonfiction? You know, the only nonfiction that I've published are my books on writing. I've done 10 short books on writing. It's called the Red Sneaker Writers series, started with story structure, then creating character. And, and I wanted them to be short little books. They're like 120 pages or something uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's just, here's what you actually need to know. I'm not gonna mess around. I'm not gonna pat it out. I'm not gonna give you an excuse to read a book when you should be writing. Here's just what you need to know. You can read it in a few hours and then stop goofing off and go write some more. Anyway, I did 10 of those, but that's the only nonfiction I've really done. The books on poetry, of course, I've loved poetry all my life, but had to kind of work up the courage. Maybe you can appreciate this as a poet yourself, but you know, telling stories, that's one thing, but being a poet, that's, that's the yeah. upper strata. And, but, uh, you know, I was always writing it and then I started kind of publishing it quietly in magazines and whatnot. And eventually I thought I had enough stuff to make a book. Here's the bottom line on all of that though. I'm very proud of those books. I think they turned out wonderfully well. I have gotten the best reviews I've gotten in my entire career for those two books of poetry. And yet, <laughs> poetry is never going to sell like a thriller does. And I would be willing to bet that, you know, 90% of the people who write my book, read my books, 
my novels probably have no idea that I wrote two books of poetry. That was something I did because I wanted to do it. And I'm glad I did it, but it is not going to pay the mortgage. And if you're like I am and, you know, have been, bear this in mind. I don't want to sound like some callous person who only cares about money. But in 91, the first year my book, my the year my first book was published, also the year my first child was born, you know. Mm -hmm. So I had some responsibilities and did not have the luxury of saying, well, I'm just going to goof off now and just write poetry all day long or something. There were bills to be paid. I was a lawyer and eventually gave that up once I thought the writing thing was secure enough, but still, uh, you know, had to keep an eye on the cold, hard realities of life and not indulge myself all the time. Did you have to uh, tap into a romantic aspect of yourself to step into the poetry arena? You know, I think it's a different voice. I don't know that much of my poetry is really romantic in the sense of being love poetry. A little bit of it is, you know, if you see my wife's name on a poem, that's probably a pretty good sign. But but a lot of <laughs> it's more observational and confessional and 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 whatnot. I, I just think it's a different voice and a different way of express. For that matter, some of them tell stories. It's just a different way of doing it. It's to me very interesting because to me, poetry is the field where you, you know, have the most content with the fewest words, you know, more with less or less is more maybe is the better way of saying it. But but so beautiful when it works, you know, when it all comes together, when you read somebody's poems and say, I get what he's saying. That is so exactly right. I can completely relate to that. You can do that with a story. Did too. you have fun? Writing a lot the more words. Did I have fun writing them? Yes, absolutely. I still write poetry. I'm sure there'll be a third book of poetry someday. That's usually how I warm up in the morning. Uh, you know, do a little poetry <laughs> before I put that down and get serious and start, you know, telling murder stories or whatever it's going to be, courtroom dramas <laughs> or whatever it is going to be this time. You will be blown away when you try Sharon Jenkins' Authorpreneur Coach Certification Program. The literary midwife, Sharon C. Jenkins, is starting a brand new Authorpreneur Coach Certification Program. After being in the industry for over 14 years, this serial authorpreneur is putting all that passion, experience, and education into a program that will equip individuals who have the same regard for authors and the writing, publishing, and marketing process in a 12-week program. If you want an additional income and love helping others, this is the opportune time to sign up. Just think, in only 12 weeks, you could be ready to hang out your shingle as a certified author's coach. For more information, go to bit.ly forward slash authorpreneurcoach. Thanks for joining our host, Sharon C. Jenkins, on Luminance Today. Tune in next week for a dynamic interview with another iconic expert. Remember that servant leadership is more than an idea. It's a chosen lifestyle.